Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 584. Don't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, David Borla. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. Quite excited, I might add. All right. Great to have you here. David Borla is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Borla Performance Industries. Borla is the pioneer and leader in the design and manufacturing of stainless steel performance exhausts. For over three decades, they provided automotive exhaust systems for performance, off-road, street, and racing cars. David had a successful career in the music industry as a musician, songwriter, and producer, and he's applied his understanding of acoustics and sound engineering to developing Borla's signature exhaust note. This marrying the passion of sound to his family's business has allowed him to expand Borla's success and make this iconic brand a worldwide name among automotive enthusiasts. So David, I told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you share a little bit more about your career, your business, and of course, your passion for automobiles? I think the first thing that needs to be stated is that I was essentially born into this industry because I'm I'm second generation. Uh, My parents kind of started this business from nothing. Uh, my father immigrated to this country from Romania, didn't speak the language, no money in his pocket. And uh, he and my mother together are a, uh, a true, um, you know, American success story. And oh, yeah. I stand, on, uh, I stand on their shoulders every day. And so um, that's kind of the most important thing that I need to state out front. Wonderful. I think uh, as you articulated, I've certainly kind of brought some new life into the company and, and standing in the trenches with them for the last 16 years, um, you know, and, and really longer um, because I've, I've watched this company from, the, from its inception. It's, it's just been really kind of proud and, and an honor for me to stand in the trenches with them and to build this family business together. Our, our name is on the door. So, you know, when you buy our products and when you come into our facility, it's, it's just like walking into my parents' my parents home and and we treat every aspect of our business that way well this is such an awesome story i've had a lot of guests here on cars yahoo 
immigrated to the United States, created businesses, created iconic brands. And it, it's so inspiring because it's, it's really true that the American dream is still there for people who want to come here, work hard, and create something out of nothing. So I love that aspect of it. And it's so nice that you, uh, you shared that with us because I didn't know that about the company. And I'm excited to learn more about you as well as we move through this talk. But first, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or some kind of mantra. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here or that fine exhaust note just to the right pitch. So, David, take the wheel. I'm a big John Wooden guy, um, mm. you know, uh, coach of coach of UCLA basketball. Oh, yeah. Got really hundreds of inspirational quotes. But um, the one that's probably closest to my heart is, uh, you know, he said, don't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. Mm. And uh, that's something I remind myself of every day because, uh, you know, praise and criticism comes into our lives on a regular basis. And it's important not to let either one really kind of affect your judgment or, or affect your strategy too much. And, you know, we've done some really great things, and it's important that we don't get too big for our britches. Um, but we also make mistakes, and it's it's important, uh, you know, not, not to kind of put yourself down or, or get too worried about the mistakes you make either. And finding that balance is really important, and it's something that I have to remind myself of pretty regularly. Oh, very well said. And my mother uh, years ago gave me a book of Wooden's quotes, and I still have it on my desk. I love to open it up and, and read some of those. And I think that's really well said, especially for a, a name like Borla, because anybody in the car industry knows what that means. You immediately comes to mind are Ferraris and exotics and Porsches and all sorts of different cars and, of course, racing and off-road. So very well said. That's uh, You're the first wooden quote to give her here on Cars Yeah, so I'm so glad that you brought that up. <laughs> now, you were born Great. into this family of car passion, of exhaust passion, of hard work and building a business. Could you go back in time and share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love for you to share that pivotal moment as you remember it when you realized that you were a car guy. For me, I think it's really, believe it or not, the contrast between myself and my brother, you know, both being born into the same family, um, you know, it kind of became evident that, uh, you know, I was out there kind of working on cars with my dad and, and, and anything he brought in, into into the home or into our garage, I was always really interested in and going down to the business when it was, you know, first beginning and, and through all of the, you know, the stages of the company's history and it was quite obvious that sort of I, I took to it, you know, in a different way that he, than he did. And he's gone on to have a very successful career of his own. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, of, of course, before I, I got out there in the world, um, you know, you spend most of your time with your family as a kid. And I think that that was where I really, really kind of started to notice it. It was just how much I, how much interest I had in what my dad was doing. Um, you know, I was fortunate to, to have him there and, and as a role model and a, and a, and a father and, and, um, um, you know, all of those experiences. So long before I got out of the house and did anything on my own, I knew I was a car guy because I just couldn't get enough of what my dad was doing. Was your dad a guy that liked to get out and wrench on the cars, work on his own cars? Yeah, I mean, my earliest memories of him are, are in the garage and, and, you know, still to this day when I smell gasoline, I, I think of my dad. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how those... Those smells come back to you. My father had an MGTC yeah. when I was like five years old, and 
I can't walk by one of those cars without just stopping and just going, wow, I remember riding with dad in that thing. It was just so much fun. Well, David, I would love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, something you're not adverse to, and have you share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. You've had several different career paths, and what I found interesting was that you're in the music industry. Oh my gosh, that can be a roller coaster ride. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're in a very entrepreneurial family business, which of course is always a roller coaster ride. So take us to that painful time, share that with us, but most importantly, how did you overcome it and what did it teach you so you could move forward? So by far the most challenging business environment that I've been in was was really the, the most recent recession, 2008-2009. And that time, as we all know, was a particularly difficult time for the automotive industry. And, and um, it was an interesting time in the history of Borla as well because we had kind of outgrown our facility in California at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, uh, and a little bit later, I'll get into the history of the company, but yeah. the company started in New York and we wound up in California and we had the, the entire business here and we were manufacturing here and things were getting tough financially and California was really not the most favorable place to be manufacturing. We were starting to compete with Asian companies whose costs were um, dramatically lower and, and um, you know, things were, were, were changing. and. Mm-hmm. We had a pressing need to re- reinvent ourselves, and the family kind of strategized. And you know, my father took the lead as as he always has in this company. And we made a very difficult decision to move our headquarters and our manufacturing facility from California to Tennessee. We also made the decision to keep a facility in California, and, which is actually where I'm speaking to you uh, right now from. And mm-hmm. we have our sales and marketing, customer service, new product development here, and we've broken off manufacturing and. Um, you know, the company headquarters and finance to Tennessee. And yep. So going through a downturn in the economy and moving at the same time uh, was was incredibly challenging for us. We oh, didn't gosh, yeah. Have, yeah, we didn't have the resources to carry two facilities at the same time. So we, uh, we did it like a light switch. And, um, you know, because of the sort of pressing, uh, you know, financial and economic climate, a lot of unforeseen things happened. Like, for instance, uh, we planned out our move and, and we, we worked out contracts with independent truckers to move our machinery across the country. And between the time that we negotiated these contracts and actually did the move, uh, gas prices had increased dramatically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, some of the truckers, to make a long story short, got part of the way across the country. Gas prices continued to go up. They realized that they weren't going to make any money on the deal, and they would just unhook their trailer and leave our equipment, you know, at a truck stop somewhere. Oh my gosh! And we'd have to figure out how to get it, you know, to our place. So, not only do we have, you know, these machines that are worth a lot of money, we've invested in and you know built our own tooling and right. are really a, a, an integral part of the way we make our products. But we also had orders coming in, and we needed to get these machines online and and you know right. satisfy our customers and hire new people in Tennessee and, and, you know, keep this business going. So, mm-hmm. uh, I could probably talk about that for the rest of the interview, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll pro- I should cut it short here, but I think you get the idea. That was, a an incredibly challenging time for us. And then for me personally, um, as you mentioned, you know, I'd had a, a career that I got into when I got out of school, I didn't just come right into this business. And so that was the first time since I, I had been here where I really faced something that was extra challenging and it proved to be an opportunity for me to kind of step up and help and um, 
elevate my status within the company because times of adversity kind of provide opportunities like that. So looking back on it now, uh, I individually and personally grew quite a bit during that time, and the company did as well. We we made a decision that we were going to continue this and, and that you know we weren't going to be discouraged by failure and, and that we knew we had to change. And even though we had a, an established brand that had been along, around for decades, we were essentially you know starting at square one. And, and now that that facility is online and now that we've made that move and the economy has improved a little bit, we've, we've turned the corner and it's just turned into an incredible asset and the company's thriving now to a degree that we never have before. Wow. Well, it's an amazing and wonderful story and not unlike what I've heard many guests share here with the problems back in 08, 09, 10, when the recession really hit. And uh, I went through a very, very similar thing. I was in a company, a young company in California. We pretty much decided we had to leave that state because it wasn't conductive to business. Came up to Washington, and then part of that business was split off when this state started acting like California. Uh, state of Washington, we moved to Indianapolis. And so, uh, you know, I always say capital goes where capital grows. And it sounds like that's what you did. But what's the biggest takeaway from from all that turmoil that you went through that you could share with people that might help them if they're facing similar situations and decisions? Is there one big takeaway? I think that keeping your mind open, staying open to change, regardless of how successful you've been, your ability to reinvent yourself, your ability to modify your strategy is going to affect your success uh, you know, to as large a degree as anything else. Yes. You know, and in my case, again, I had grown up as a Borla. This company had been around for a really long time. There are always going to be elements in a, in a business environment, in life in general, that you can't control. And so you have to be kind of aware and to see these things coming. And, you know, really credit to my father for, for not sitting idly. Um, you know, it was probably even more challenging for him being older than myself and, and being established and, frankly, um, you know, probably could have, survive without this business at that time. So I think the path of least resistance for him, you know, would have been to just kind of remain with the status quo and just kind of go with it and, and, and not put himself in a position where he had to reinvent himself. And, um, you know, watching that and kind of, you know, having him take the lead and seeing us go through that, you know, was a great learning experience for me. And, uh, you know, will continue to pay dividends in my life as, as I have to make hard decisions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's two key words there, change and reinvent that you use that are so absolutely imperative to moving on and being successful. I've been involved in organizations where that unwillingness to change has been a massive detriment and it basically brought the house of cards down. You have to be willing to change. You know what comes to mind? You worked in the music industry. You look at the greats in the music industry. You take a people like uh, Michael Jackson, Madonna, I mean, just to name a two, a two, that were willing to completely keep reinventing themselves. Even the Beatles did it in their short mm -hmm. time they were together. And that willingness to change in your life, whatever it is, is absolutely vital. So thank you for sharing that story. I really appreciate it. You know, from a, on the on the music analogy, the music business as a whole is suffering from from their sort of inability to change. When yes. the when the when the digital world came around, when the internet came around, um, you know those sort of pillars of the music industry, the Atlantic Records and the you know yep. Columbia Records and Sony and all those record companies that have been around for a really long time, 
they had an opportunity there to take the lead and embrace this new technology. And, and they did the opposite, which was just try to protect what they had and yep. keep things the way they were. And, and, um, and they really suffered from that, and they continue to suffer from it. It's funny, when you, when you were asking me about inspirational quotes, there's another John Wooden quote, which I would put kind of at number two, which is he said, failure is not fatal, but fa- failure to change might be. <laughs> yes. And that, that, that really resonates with me. And it's also something that, you know, again, my parents instilled in this company from the very beginning. We've, we've, our intention has always been to be leading edge and to come out with new technologies. And we didn't want to be a period piece, yeah. um, you know, where yeah. we sort of had our glory days and we continue to make products the same way. And we have new patents and, and um, new ideas, and we're constantly pushing the envelope, um, you know, trying to come up with something new, new and something cool. And, um, you know, let's face it, we're in a business where, Nobody really needs what we do as much as they may feel like they need it. The reality of <laughs> yeah. it is we're in a we're in a want business. So, um, you know, staying creative and keeping that mindset um, is a big part of our success. Oh, absolutely. Another great that comes to mind in mentioning unwillingness to change was Kodak. When you think about yes, darn it, digital right. digital's just not going to stop people from using camera film, is it? <laughs> and uh, right there, yeah. you go. A, a giant dies. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's one of those times where those lights come on and illuminate a way to a new path, a new direction that you had. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, you know, once again, for me, I I came into a business that that already had achieved quite a lot of success, kind of uh, posed some challenge for me when I was trying to make my mark here and, and, and wanted to make myself useful and my father proud and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was actually challenging for me in the beginning because the business was doing so well and, and our products were so well received. It was kind of like, how can I get in here and make this any better? Where, you know, where can I be of value right. here? And, and um, I had a lot to learn and I spent many years, you know, kind of in this almost state of non-existence where I was just, you know, kind of a small cog in the wheel and happy to be so and and really just trying to pay my dues and learn and um at the time this was in the early 2000s we had shifted our focus from kind of like a pure aftermarket to actually supporting um original equipment manufacturers which we still do to this day and Mm -hmm. and has proven to be a an, an excellent part of our business we have relationships with quite a few oems and this was when the uh the 350z came out Nissan or Datsun had not offered a Z um, since I believe it was the 300ZX, uh, which was probably over a decade prior. Right, so yeah. the, new, the new Z was coming out, and of course now we've seen them all over the place, and they're kind of old news, but at this time it was kind of a big deal, and it was actually bang for the buck, you know, one of the best cars out there, rear-wheel drive, real performance car, and um, you know, it was one of the reasons I was brought into this company was to kind of bring some youth and enthusiasm. And this car was particularly important in the youth market at the time. And, you know, I, I kind of had my eye on this car. And the original exhaust system we developed was actually in partnership with Nissan or their aftermarket division, Nismo. Mm-hmm. And so Nissan had um, some particular requirements for this exhaust system, which we built. And uh, I guess there were numerous other companies bidding on this. And uh, we built it based on 
kind of what NISMO wanted, very much kind of cost. Uh, you know, cost was a big part of it, or price was a big part of it. And unfortunately, we, you know, we wound up not being selected. Mm. And so we took that exhaust system and we decided that since we had so much invested in it, we were going to add it to our own catalog, which is, you know, kind of how this business works. Right, um, yeah. So we added it to our own catalog, and <clears throat> when we released the part, it did not get the most favorable reviews, primarily because it was a single exhaust system, and really what the marketplace was looking for was something that was, a, you know, spoke a little bit more to the aftermarket, was a little bit more aggressive, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a little bit louder, and, and it, you know, they were looking for something with some more performance, and so basically I, I took the lead at that time, and, and was frankly really unhappy with the fact that we didn't get the response that we were used to, um, you know, for this particular car. And I think that, um, within our organization, we had a lot of distractions at the time and, and, um, it was very difficult for me to kind of bring this to the forefront of the company so that we would really put our best effort forward and, and make something great for this particular car. You know, I took the lead and really kind of took a different approach than than we had in the past, where I, I brought in a bunch of 350Z owners and picked their brains and, you know, really got an idea of what they were looking for. Yeah. And so we took that information and that data and all of our company history and our resources, and we built a whole new exhaust system for that car. It was a true dual exhaust with an H-pipe, and this was... a. Uh, Still at a time when, when um, you know, print media was, you know, King. relevant, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, a, a magazine, a, a, a 350Z special came out on exhaust. And uh, we wound up sweeping all the categories. Uh, we made the most power. Our parts fit and look the best. And um, nice. we're, uh, we're, we're the most durable, um, sounded the best. So, uh, you know, and that, that article really kind of, slingshotted us into becoming extremely relevant for that car and that part was one of our best-selling parts for the next 10 years and kind of really helped establish me within within the company and and opened up some new doors and we got into new markets we hadn't been in before and and um you know kind of gave me the confidence that that i can take this thing and take it to another level very nice story i love that how to turn a lemon into lemonade is a great yeah. way to look at that one. Well, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you could share with us? I think putting together the team that we have right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't be more proud of this company and more proud of what I've done for this company than I am today. You know, I've recently gotten married. Ah, congratulations. Thank you very much. My my son's five months old. Oh, my gosh, a new one. <laughs> Yeah, so my first child. So your priorities kind of change and, and you start kind of thinking things, you know, from more of a, I guess, a parental aspect, from a nurturing aspect. And oh, yeah. When I first started here, you know, I was probably the youngest person in the company. And now there are, you know, quite a few people here that are younger than I am. And, and putting together something where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. is the proudest moment for me. That's awesome. really what I'm in this for. That's really what I want to be a part of. And, and uh, I couldn't be more proud than I am right now at this moment. Very cool. Very well said and uh, spot on. Absolutely. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, it's actually not a car. 
I had a Yamaha Zinger motorcycle. A Zinger? Given to me by my, <laughs> yeah, by my father when I was six years old. It's also known as a PW50. Uh-huh. And they actually made this bike from, I think, 1980 until very recently, like 2014 or 2015. And, uh, you know, I, I just learned how to ride a bicycle, and my father showed up on my sixth birthday with this motorcycle, and I just love that thing. I still love that thing. I got right on it and uh, started zipping around the neighborhood, and, and uh, I've never looked back since. So I have a very special uh, place in my heart for this tiny little uh, little motorcycle. And those of you who are familiar with it know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are not, it's, uh, I believe, a little tiny 50, uh, 50cc bike for kids. It's a tiny little bike. It's oh, yeah. a six-year-old it fit me perfectly. And, uh, man, what a cool experience that was uh, <laughs> as a child, just finally having my own vehicle. That was my own, my first vehicle. It was oh, yeah. just uh, liberating and super cool. And the first thing I ever really wrenched on myself. And, uh, man, I love that thing. Oh, yeah. Those are awesome. They they look like little off-road dirt bikes or d- for an adult. They but are, they're, yeah. They're just shrunk down. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Perfect for a kid. It was way cooler than my first bike, which was a Honda Trail 70, which wasn't nearly <laughs> as cool as that, but uh, different time. This was back in the, the early 70s. How about Seller's yeah. Remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? We had um, an International Harvester Scout. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was a diesel, and that is the truck that I learned how to drive a manual or a stick shift on. <laughs> cool. You know, at the time, we lived um, in, in a part of California called Somis, which is in Ventura County, a very kind of out-of-the-way part of Ventura County. And mm-hmm. it was a two-and-a-half-acre avocado ranch, and there were a bunch of access roads in the back. And, you know, we really used this truck, um, you know, around the property and stuff. And when it came time for me to learn how to drive a stick, my dad took this thing, you know, I got in the truck with my dad. We went up to the top of a hill. My dad put it in neutral, put the emergency brake on, and told me to switch spots with him. And uh, he was nice. like, how are you going to get out of it? He's like, how are you going to get out of it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, that was my first experience with a stick. He put me in a, <laughs> the most difficult position he possibly could. And, uh, you know, the license plate said Borla. And this was at, at a time when we were really, um, you know, my my dad was kind of, going to work in a in a suit and then he'd inevitably have to wind up on the production floor fixing a machine or something and right. you know he'd, he'd ruin his his new suit and you know it was like those kinds of days so <laughs> that that particular truck was uh was was just uh an important part of our history and mine personally and yeah um you know of course you get rid of these things you don't realize how much they meant to you or what they're going to what it, what your memory is going to be and i wish we had kept that thing yeah absolutely cool old vehicle well, the first car that i drove and bought when i was in high school was a carmigia and my mom helped me with it she loaned me a little bit of the money and drove me from san diego to point loma which is about a half hour drive as part of san diego looked at the car we bought it and then i said uh, I've never driven a stick. How am I going to get home? And my mom said, well, I guess you better figure it out. See you at home. And she took off. And the guy that I bought the car from, I guess he looked at me and said, well, I'll give you a quick lesson. But that drive home was nerve-wracking. I stalled it in the middle of every intersection. Oh, it was just horrible. But 
You know, we all figure it out. Yeah, so you were lucky. You're out in the middle of the wilderness. There was no pressure. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to worry about any other cars. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about today. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what is happening at Borla. What has you really excited and fired up today? Well, as I mentioned, we're always looking for opportunities to, you know, reinvent ourselves and bring something new to the table. So um, at any time in our history, if you'd ask me this, there's always something new going on here. And, and, and we're, we're, we sort of pride ourselves on that. But for me personally, I've just submitted my, my first patent in my name. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And um, it's, a, it's a timber-scaled exhaust system is what I'm calling it. And what I've done is I've sort of married my experience in the music business with my experience in exhaust. It's the culmination of, of both my careers at this point. And, nice. Uh, my father has been sort of toying with this multi-core exhaust idea. And this is something that he patented decades ago. Mm-hmm. And um, this is what we were really known for kind of in the 80s, where these mufflers where he had multiple cores going through the muffler and they were all perforated and what it allowed him to do was open up the internals of the muffler so that it would flow an incredible amount of air while still attenuating sound. Mm. And so the initial idea of these multi-cores was really to attenuate sound, bring as much of the sound out of it as you can and provide for the most airflow as possible. And that's really how we became known for, we still to this day are the go-to guys for really high horsepower applications when you need to attenuate sound. Obviously, if you don't have to attenuate sound, which is the case in a lot of racing, they don't run mufflers. They're just straight pipes, and that's, you know, there really isn't much technology there. But when you have to attenuate sound, it's, you know, how do you basically kill the sound without killing the power? That's the challenge. And so then later we took that idea and we started playing with the idea of straight pipes mixing straight pipes and perforated pipes through the muffler to actually bring out some of the kind of tasty frequencies. <laughs> I like that terminology, tasty <laughs> yeah. frequencies. Frequency, yeah, while also attenuating or, or, or eliminating the objectionable frequencies. And mm-hmm. that's a, a patent that we have that's called ATAK, and, um, A-T-A-K, which stands for Acoustically Tuned Applied Kinetics. But all of this technology was always transpiring within the muffler. Mm-hmm. And as I started playing with this attack technology, I realized that, that there's a lot that can be done with straight pipes when you eliminate the, uh, the perforated side of it and you start playing with different pipe diameters and lengths. And, um, and it, uh, it, it's actually very similar to a pipe organ. Mm. And so I started exploring the ways pipe organs are made and as it turns out, we actually have a pipe organ manufacturer maybe two miles from our facility in Tennessee. So that pipe organ manufacturer was, was generous enough to let me come into their facility. They're also a family business, been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. They have an interest in cars, so it was kind of like, well, you know, I'll give you a tour of our place. You give us a tour of your place. And um, as I started talking to them, I realized that there were these calculations for the ratios between the sizes of pipes in a pipe organ. Nice. And essentially, it, it goes all the way back to Pythagoras, who is the, the first guy to discover what we call intervals in music, which is, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, as, as, as we know it in Western music. And mm-hmm. um, other parts of the world, they have microtones and all kinds of other notes. But there's actually um, 
you know, relationships between these notes and, and where we use it most in music is what we call harmony, mm-hmm. where two notes together, um, you know, sound more pleasing to the ear than, than another two notes might. And you can add three notes and four notes and you build what are called chords. Um, and the most simple of which is just a triad, which would be the root note and then the third above it and the fifth above that. And of course, anybody that knows anything about music theory, this goes on and on and on and can get very deep and very complex. Oh, yeah. But essentially, they're really just 12 notes um, in Western music and, you know, different octaves. And so I started playing with the idea of what if we took similar ratios and incorporated them into our exhaust systems? So the big difference between the other stuff that we've done is that this is not transpiring inside of a muffler because it's all straight through piping. So what you have is you have a, a collector that will take it from a single pipe into numerous pipes. And by playing with these numerous pipes, different diameters, different lengths, again, you know, and taking the ratios and the calculations from pipe organs, you know, we've been able to actually create harmony um, in our exhaust systems. And this is not something that we've released or even shot a video of yet. So it, it's emerging and it's, it's brand new. And the reason I can even talk about it is because we have, uh, you know, the patent is actually pending now. So, mm-hmm. so we are protected. But you're going to see some pretty cool-looking exhaust systems from us. has a very different look. Mm-hmm. But even more important than that, it has a, a very different sound. And where it becomes especially sort of relevant and important for us right now are in two areas. Uh, I'm sure you're aware that more and more exhaust systems are coming, or more and more cars are coming from the factory with with bimodal exhaust systems. Right, yes. And so it's essentially a quiet path and a loud path. Some of them have a button inside the cabin where you can control it. Others are sort of, you know, the computer of the car is sort of telling it when to open based on RPM or or how hard you step on the pedal and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. from our perspective, they're essentially two different paths. And more often than not, we're seeing the loud path just essentially being a straight pipe. So what this technology allows us to do is to actually change the sound and give it a personalization and what I like to call the spirit of the aftermarket, which is, you know, sound is subjective. So it's not necessarily that we're going to come out there and say, well, we, we have something that sounds better, but something that sounds dramatically different and something where we have a lot of control over how it sounds. So if we want to bring out more of those high frequencies or more of those mid frequencies, and, you know, we're getting into having two different kind of waves or three different waves that come together and create harmony in this loud path. And that's something that's never been done before. So it's uh, very interesting and very exciting. And then the other area where it's where it's proving to be very helpful is is um, more and more cars are coming with turbochargers these days as well because for emissions, um, yeah, and power. Yeah, yeah, well, not just emissions, but yeah, the uh, the CAF standards really, I yeah. think, is uh, is what's driving it. Where the cars just have to get more and more efficient. And of course, you know, our job is to take these cars and make them more exciting. Turbocharged cars, the turbochargers kind of kill the sound. Um, to a greater degree than a naturally aspirated car. Mm-hmm. So it's always this, we're actually trying to amplify or, or bring out more of the nooks and crannies of the exhaust note. And uh, that's what this new patent is allowing us to do. And uh, I can't wait to show it to everybody. Oh, man, completely and utterly fascinating to me. And I know those listeners out there that are into cars, which is pretty much the entire Cars Yeah audience is just right now salivating, can't wait to hear what you've come up with. So thank you for sharing that new technology. Very awesome. 
Now, here's a very introspective question for you, David. If you were a car, what kind of car would David be and why? It's interesting. You know, <laughs> I, I thought about this and I really came to the conclusion that we're all unique. You know, we're all like like a custom car kind of built on a similar chassis. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you know, for me, I, I, you know, I'm more concerned with with a well being well balanced and you know kind of having that marriage of of handling power and durability um that I am with appearance so you know I see myself as a as a custom car built on a bought chassis <laughs> I like that I like that <laughs> very nice well David up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors hey cars yeah listeners i have a question what's the best way to protect your vehicle both the exterior and the interior. It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, David, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle, making those sounds cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I'm not sure who said this, but there's a cliche in racing where they say, slow in, fast out is better than fast in dead out <laughs> yes. and i think that's the best advice i've ever i've ever received in the automotive industry yeah i heard that from a lot of racers and it's appropriate because later today my guest i'm going to be recording a show is scott speed so one of the few american f1 racers who's now doing mm-hmm. rallycross so uh i like that would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years you know staying humble and staying kind of close to the ground and and really listening to end users and staying in touch with end users. I, I've really made an effort to make myself available to end users on forums. Um, you know, I'll post my personal email address, my uh, the direct line to my office. And, um, you know, 
you know, I'll, I'll try to stop everything I'm doing if there's an end user that has a problem and really needs to get in touch with me. And I think that's been a big part of my success is, is not allowing the fact that, you know, I've been born into this business and that we have a relatively well-known name to kind of, um, you know, isolate me from the market. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you how important that is and valuable that is to customers because those business owners that hide themselves away that can never be reached, there's no way to ever get to them, they've got walls between them and the customers, are such a detriment to the brand. So how refreshing your attitude is. I love that. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of them out there, but is there one in particular you think the Car Show listeners would enjoy? Boy, it's tough for me to pick one, but I personally enjoy the forums. I really oh, yeah. do. And it, it's a little bit of a moving target and it, it evolves. So that's part of the reason why I, I would hesitate to mention just one. Mm-hmm. You know, even in a given platform, there's one forum that seems to be relevant, you know, for one generation and then the next generation of the car comes out and uh, a different forum kind of um, comes up. But being able to interact with each other and, and to kind of build this thing together and, and have a real community, you know, it's something that's that's really helped our industry. And, and of course, back in the hot rod days in the 50s, which which I must say is long before my time, uh, not to date myself, um, you know, but I, I, I envision or I see pictures or, or paintings of, you know, guys getting together at gas stations and, and diners and, yeah. you know, talking about their cars and how that, how that evolved to parking lots. And, and I know it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but, you know, even street racing and that kind of stuff. And this aftermarket thing, the spirit of the aftermarket, as I mentioned before, has always been quite elusive. And, um, you know, for us to have a place where we can interact with each other directly is just really wonderful. So I encourage everybody to find a forum that, that's relevant to what they're interested in and, and go interact and engage yep. um, because it pays great dividends. Oh, absolutely. The forums are awesome. I mean, in the middle of the night, you might have a question about something and you post it and there's somebody out there that usually gives you a pretty good answer. So uh, yeah, forums are awesome. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you think our listeners should read as well? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, for obvious reasons, it's, yeah. it's just this perfect marriage of of kind of mechanical aspects of of what I do and 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 this world that I live in. You know, kind of, but really spilling over into more of a philosophical book. And there's a lot in there about quality and the concept of quality, uh, which of course is incredibly important to us. So, um, so that's the book that I would recommend. Yeah, my son gave me that book. Uh, he just graduated from college. That was uh, Robert Persig wrote that book. Correct. Yep. It's really a great book. And the first time I started reading it, it wasn't. I didn't know what to expect because I hadn't heard anything about it. And at first, I have to admit, I started reading. I'm like, what is going on here? What? What, what is this guy? I was waiting to hear about motorcycles, and right. there's a yeah. whole another giant message there. So it's an awesome book. It's really a philosophical book. Oh, it is. It's philosophy, although that's what yeah. it really is. So, uh, yeah, when I asked my son, Blake, I said, you know, I just started reading this. What is going on? He just smiled and he said, keep reading, Dad. Keep reading, Dad. So <laughs> one of these days, your new little son will give you a book as well, and you'll have a smile on your face as well. Oh, I'm excited about that. You should be. You're in for a great adventure, I have to tell you. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources David's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash 
David Borla. And there's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and the past 500 plus guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. And if you've not read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, get yourself a copy and read it. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, David. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, I'll even buy you a custom-made Borla exhaust to put on this thing, whatever you choose. <laughs> what would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? So this is a very interesting question, and it's a sort of this ongoing conversation that I have with my father um, <laughs> because, because I'm a, you know, I, I believe that we go through impressionable times of our lives mm-hmm. um, where certain timing um, you know, and, and whatever's going on in the world during that particular time makes an impression on you. And I'm not saying anything that anybody else hasn't said, but really what I'm getting at is that I grew up, um, you know, my impressionable time was really in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, early 80s to mid 80s. And it just seems like the cars that were iconic during that time, you know, just kind of resonate with me in a way that the cars that were iconic maybe 25 years prior to that resonate with my father. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, you know, we, of course, you know, I know that the question is not really related to the value of the cars, but right. you can sort of see this in, in, the, in the kind of pattern of which cars become more valuable or are more sought after. And what you're starting to see now is that as my generation um, has a, a larger disposable income, the cars that were impressionable for us in the 80s are, are kind of um, increasing in value. And for me, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, during the 80s, it wasn't really the best time for American cars. So there really weren't too many American cars that were that were leaving an impression on us. Um, and I'm proud to say that's changed now. But yeah. um, at the time, for me, uh, it was really about a slant-nose 930 Porsche. Ah. And still to this day, when I see uh, a slant-nose Porsche, it, it, you know, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And uh, there's just something about that car, 930 Turbo Slant Nose. <laughs> you know, it's just my favorite, really. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you're younger than I am, but uh, when the Turbo came out, for me, it was the 70s when the first generation came out. And, oh, my gosh, that was the car to have. I had a friend whose dad bought a brand new one. And used to get a ride in that thing. And then later on, when I was young in my career and had a new child, my daughter was only five months old, there was a... Beautiful 1987 930 in the showroom floor down there in Carlsbad at Hohen Porsche. I used to stop and look at it every day and wish, yeah. wish I could have one. But there is a, a, a glimmer of hope here for you. Number one, I'm going to buy you one, of course. But I did, I did <laughs> finally, I did finally get my 930. I've got an 87 930 in the garage. It's not a slant nose, but uh, I think you would like it. Yeah, I sure would. I mean, just for the record, you know, I take a, a, one that's not a slant nose. Okay, either, for okay, sure. okay. Well, <laughs> you got to come up here and visit me, and I'll toss you the keys and let you drive it anytime you'd like. Awesome. But, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a what really color cool is car. It? Well, this car is very rare. It's a paint to sample, one of three metallic orange. It's wow. not not even a Porsche color. Uh, it's a custom mixed six stage paint. There were three 930s built in this color, two regulars like mine, and one is a slant nose, and I know who owns it. Uh, wow. But it's not for sale. So. <laughs> wow. So it's factory paint, but they never offered it in that color. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Porsche has a, wow. a program called Paint to Sample where you can order their cars in almost 
any color for an extra cost, of course. And this was a special mix that the gentleman I bought the car from had done for this car. So uh, I'll send you some pictures of it. It's out there on... Please do. Yeah, it's out there on the Cars Yeah Instagram. And I post it on my Facebook page from time to time, both my personal and the Cars Yeah Facebook page. But I'll shoot you an email. I think you're going to like it. For all the listeners out there, I did not know that, and I didn't pick that car for that reason, but I sure I sure picked a good one. <laughs> you did. You did. In fact, I just took the car out last week. A, a friend of mine here in the Northwest, Jason Tang, who's a very talented photographer, asked me if we could go out and shoot pictures of it. He did a beautiful job taking some very early morning Dawn Patrol pictures of that car because the color just glows in the sunshine. It's I can a, imagine, yeah. Yeah, I'll send you some pictures for sure. Well, great choice. David. <laughs> yeah, great choice, David. You've taken us on an awesome ride, a very nicely sounding ride today, of course, being with Borla. And I've really enjoyed learning more about your family history and about you and where Borla's going. It's so exciting. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that slant nose 930? Respect the process. Be calm and assertive, and just like in racing, you know, be mindful of where your eyes are. Make sure you're looking ahead. Yes, yep, heads up, down the road. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and about Borla? I would recommend going to our website at www.borla.com. There's quite a lot in there about our company history and about our approach to developing new products, and uh, that's really the central hub for everything we do, so www.borla.com. Listeners, again, you can find this link and everything else David has shared today at CarsYeah.com. Just type David in the search bar and his page will pop right up. Check out Borla. Check out the website. If you're at SEMA this year, I'm sure you guys are going to be there as well. It's a spectacular company with an amazing history. American success story, as we heard, of immigrants coming to the U.S. and creating something out of nothing. Absolutely fantastic. David, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed talking to you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!